This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 Friday afternoon, September 30th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Congratulations. You made it through another work week. The Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Some people who chose to retire during the pandemic are now having second thoughts. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the latest numbers on inflation show no slowdown in prices. We're joined by Gus Fauché, Chief of Economist with PNC Financial Services based in Pittsburgh. Gus, thanks for joining us today. Uh, The PCE, the Personal Consumption Index, which is the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, shows uh, core inflation rising uh, 4.9% from a year ago in the month of August and uh, over uh, six-tenths of a percent on a monthly basis. Now, this is on top of the uh, uh, Consumer Price Index, which came out a couple of months ago. And uh, is this another number that's telling us similar story? Uh, Yeah, inflation is far too high from the Fed's perspective, and perhaps even more worryingly, core inflation tends to be sticky. That is, it stays the same from month to month. Uh, And so if it stays high, that that means inflation is going to remain a problem into 2023, and that means the Fed will have to raise interest rates even more than they're currently expecting. And once again, this is for the month of August. We're still a a couple of weeks away from the uh, September readings on, uh, on, on consumer prices and inflation, which uh, chances are will uh, kick off a, a whole new round of anxiety. That's right. I mean, obviously, we have been seeing gasoline prices come down. That's good news. But core inflation remains high. And even if it slows somewhat, it's still going to be much higher than the Fed would like. And it's a significant problem for the economy right now. And so if you're uh, one of the Fed's hawks uh, looking at these numbers, you're just going to say steady as she goes when it comes to uh, interest rate hikes. That, that's right. And even the Fed doves are saying that, uh, you know, there's nobody who you know, on the uh, Federal Open Market Committee who isn't looking to continue to raise interest rates in the near term in response to the very high inflation that we're seeing right now. On the other hand, the Vibe Check, the uh, Consumer Sentiment uh, Index from the University of Michigan, uh, moderated or increased a little bit in the month of September as uh, inflation expectations either mo- they either moderated, which means uh, people are noticing that uh, the prices are leveling off, or we all just got used to it. Um, I, I think, you know, people in particular, you notice gasoline prices, right? Because you drive by the station every day, you fill up your tank every few days. And so people are building that into their inflation expectations. And certainly the, the big drop in gasoline prices that we've seen is good news there. Uh, but inflation expectations are, are still higher than the Fed would like. And they want to make sure that they don't get stuck permanently high, higher, because that makes it 
more difficult to bring down inflation over the longer run. Now, uh, this, is a, this is a question that uh, requires a quick answer. I don't know if there is one, but it seems like the Fed has kind of abandoned all discussion about a soft landing and that uh, recession may be necessary to uh, wring all of this inflation out of the economy. Is that uh, where the Fed is headed the, right now? Um, you know, I, I still think I don't want to call it a soft landing, but maybe a bumpy landing. But it's getting more and more difficult as inflation remains high. And I think we'll be seeing Fed officials talking more openly about the possibility of recession in the months ahead. Gus Fauché, chief economist, PNC Financial Services based in Pittsburgh. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, deciding when the time is right to retire. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The pandemic prompted a lot of people to reassess their future and, in some cases, opt for retirement. However, some are now wondering if that was the right move. We're joined by Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor, Fairhaven Wealth Management, based in Wheaton, Illinois. The website is fairhavenwealth.com. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Couple of you for, for um, How many uh, calls are you getting, Mark, from uh, clients uh, who may have uh, had the retirement party a year and a half ago, a socially distant, responsible retirement party uh, in 2021 or in 2020. And uh, now they're calling up and saying, uh, hey, wait a minute, uh, can I actually get through retirement with all the moves in the stock market and uh, just this general sense of I can't keep up with prices these days? Yeah, totally, totally natural response for people to for people to call and ask, and we're getting and we're getting a couple of those phone calls. I'd say, thankfully, what we talk about with clients uh, is the idea of going out and practicing your retirement before you before you actually pull the ripcord. And so, a few years a few years ahead of retirement, you might actually test drive your spending assumptions and put some money that you think you're going to be spending each month in retirement into an account and just try and live on that to see if to see if that actually plays out to be to be accurate so you give yourself some time to adjust we're also big advocates of having a cash cushion going into retirement and and setting yourself up to be flexible uh, so that you can react to different environments and so when you go into retirement and start taking money out of a portfolio when you stick to that dollar amount in a static way in difficult times like we're going through right now it puts a ton of pressure on a on a portfolio it's sort of dollar cost averaging in reverse and so what whatever whatever you can do to adjust your spending uh, when we go through difficult times like we're doing right now in retirement to, to kind of help take, help that portfolio breathe a little and give it more of a chance to recover when we will, we will eventually recover, that, that's going to help a lot. And so, again, to answer your question, Rob, answering uh, those calls from clients, we're reminding them, hey, we've got, the, we've got that cushion, you've, adjust, you've adjusted down your, your distribution, you're doing all the right things, and so you don't need to worry about going, going back to work. Now, when you talk about going back to work, I mean, maybe there are some clients who are, uh, want to know if their old office has been reassigned and if they can go back to their old job with their old hours, but just because uh, you want to work doesn't necessarily mean you're unretiring. I, mean, I know a couple of retirees who uh, they have the house and they do the traveling and they do all, all the trappings of retirement, but they have also a flexible uh, part-time job at a golf course or they work at a rental car agency or just do something to uh, keep themselves busy as opposed to just sitting on the couch and watching Wheel of Fortune. 
That's a, so that's a fantastic observation, and we've got to, and you just described a whole bunch of our clients that that have gone to go get jobs at, at, at as you describe. You rattle off a great list there, and they love the experience of. Uh, I guess number one, having having some having some place to go, not just not just go play golf or uh, watch Wheel of Fortune all all day, but to have some place to have some place to go, have some responsibility, make some contributions to an organization, but have a job that they don't have to think about for a second once they once they leave and go and go home. And so yeah, the idea the idea of retiring, the old the old school idea was you get the gold watch and you go and again you go play golf every every day. What we're seeing far more frequently is clients sort of downshift their their career. They go from maybe the more serious the more serious career that they might have had for 20, 30 or 40 years, but continue working in a in a job that's got rewards but just doesn't have the same sort of mental obligations that 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 uh, that first career had. We we think about that and talk about that as a phase 2 with our clients. And that could also uh, help your clients uh, manage a little bit of their anxiety about the stock market or whether they should go back to work full time. That you can still, you know, bring some money in, take care of rising prices, uh, just with the twenty-hour-a-week job as opposed to the forty or more. Absolutely. So the all of these things are interrelated. So the idea of being able to be flexible and and kind of and kind of bob and weave with the stock market, having another source of income coming in that could be social security or it could and another another job, that's going to help you uh, be able to adjust your monthly spending when again we go through we go through periods of market difficulty, which this won't be the last one when we get clear of this. We'll have clear sailing for a little while, and then we'll have another experience like this. So it's important to think about being prepared before we go through the next one. Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor with Fairhaven Wealth Management in Wheaton. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Check him out online, fairhavenwealth.com. Coming up next, Nike deals with not only supply chain issues, but also some extra inventory. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Shares of Nike are down more than 10% today. Let's find out what's going on at the athletic shoe and apparel maker. We welcome in Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO Jay Rogers Niffen Worldwide, based in New York. Jan, thanks for joining us today. At first blush, Nike appears to be the type of business that could be impacted by uh, every single economic woe we've experienced over the past year and a half. Yeah, that's the problem. It turned out that Nike was more like other companies than maybe we all thought it was. So they had the same problems developed. They have too much inventory. It's stacked up in the system. They're having to mark down to get the stuff sold. Nike actually reported a solid sales number that people are buying the product. And their EPS was pretty much in line with what the world expected. But when they talked about where they stand right now, which is we have a whole lot more stuff than we've sold and we have to mark it down to get it out the door. That's what the street didn't like. And that's why they traded their stock down. They finally said, you know, Nike SP to clay, just like Walmart had, just like Target had, just like all the rest of the retailers had when it turned out that they misjudged how much the consumer was going to buy from them at the, over a period of time. I'm and disappointed. I really am surprised that they, they had this issue, but they do. Now, it looks like uh, Nike is exploring more direct-to-consumer options as opposed to uh, lining up at the store. 
Well, that's been going on for a while. That was before COVID. They had already started to move to the direct-to-consumer model, as most of the strong brands have, whether you're Ralph Lauren or one of the other brands like Nike. You're all trying to use your equity mind value with the consumer to get them to buy directly from you, cut out the middleman, and increase your profitability. The problem has been that in a lot of cases, they haven't really increased their profitability on those sales because it turned out that the wholesale model through other people was pretty efficient. But that hasn't stopped everybody moving that direction because everybody wants to control their customer with their brand and sell directly to them and serve them the way they want to. That trend's just going to continue. And it, in theory, of course, you should be able to make more money by selling direct because you don't have to have the middleman involved. And then very quickly, Jan, what is uh, Nike's number one customer? Is it the person who wants just the average, everyday, run-of-the-mill athletic gear? Or is it the sneakerhead who wants the uh, celebrity line of shoes? Well, they have plenty of those. However, when you're doing as much volume as Nike's doing, and you're the biggest seller in the world of the product, you have to sell to every man. So it's your basic shoe that drives your business. It's the special shoe that drives your coolness factor. Jan Rogers Niffin, CEO of J. Rogers Niffin Worldwide, based in New York. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead in Entrepreneur Friday, a look inside the business of collector cars and road art. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Hurricane Ian makes landfall along the coast of South Carolina. A special report coming up from CBS News. In Entrepreneur Friday, we meet the CEO of the world's largest collector car auction company. And we'll also learn about the economic condition known as stagflation. It was a name from the 70s, and if that's a concern now. WBBM Business, the markets are mixed. The Dow is down 93 points. The NASDAQ is up 33, and the S&P 500 up 1. AccuWeather says plenty of sunshine today, pleasant, and a high of 66. We have 62 degrees right now in Chicago at O'Hare under mostly sunny skies. 65 at Midway, mostly sunny. Southeast wind at 7 miles an hour. 60 and sunny at the lakefront. Glenview, mostly sunny and 63 at 1231. CBS News special report. Hurricane Ian is storming towards the Carolinas after devastating parts of Florida. John Tecklenburg is the mayor of Charleston, South Carolina. That's going to be the worst time. Let's get past that and then we'll come out later this evening and tomorrow and get cleaned up. Emergency services have been suspended in Charleston County. CBS News meteorologist David Parkinson with a forecast. Charlotte's about to get into the heavy rain. They're likely to be seeing uh, some of the worst rain to come. The cone here weakens the storm to a non-tropical system, so it becomes post-tropical, 60-mile-an-hour winds by 8 p.m. In Florida, more than 2 million people lost power and some areas had no water. Governor Ron DeSantis on how the Army is assisting in the recovery. The number one thing that, that we needed, you know, that they provided, which was the Army Corps to support Lee County and, and their water situation. Uh, critical, critical to get that infrastructure back up and running. CBS News Special Report. I'm Wendy Gillette. It's 12.32 as the Noon Business Hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are mixed at this hour. We're joined by Tim Grisky, Senior Portfolio Strategist with Ingalls & Snyder, based in New York. Tim, thanks for joining us today. Our investors, will they be thrilled to uh, flip the calendar from September to October starting next week? Well, I think we can flip the calendar in the whole year, Rob. It's been... Uh 
hasn't been a, a kind year to the financial market. Stocks and bonds are both down. Uh, actually, you know, in, in this quarter that's just ending now, the third quarter, stocks were down, quote, only 4%. Uh, so most of the damage was done prior to this current quarter. But, boy, what a volatile quarter we had. Uh, very strong in the beginning. Markets shot up on speculation. The Fed was not going to raise interest rates too much. Uh, and then that hope was dashed uh, when the Fed decided uh, to announce that they were going to be very aggressive raising rates. Uh, so markets don't know what to do. That means volatility uh, with a bias towards the downside. September is historically a rough month for the markets regardless. But uh, as you pointed out, there are some specific reasons this time around. Yeah, you know, September hasn't been a kind month historically to the markets, but that's probably pretty random. There are plenty of examples of actually, you know, good Septembers historically as well. Uh, you know, what counts here is what's happening uh, in the markets. Uh, and we've had just a very weak uh, equity market and weak bond market, primarily because the Fed has been raising rates. Uh, but they're doing the right thing, raising rates to counter inflation. Uh, high inflation is very hard uh, to lower. So the sooner the Fed got on it, the better. Uh, they probably were a little bit late getting on it this time, but at least they are doing it now. Uh, however, that doesn't help uh, in terms of having uh, uh, good investment returns, uh, very weak investment returns for the year. Uh, hopefully better days ahead. And is this also a case for a lot of investors, uh, generationally speaking, who just don't know what a high interest rate environment looks like? I mean, the last time uh, rates hit 5% was 2007, and that was 15 years ago, and then they were slashed as the uh, financial crisis set in. Well, I think we were all a bit you know, seduced by you know, the uh, equity markets over the last several years. Uh, they were so strong. Uh, I think uh, nobody was really used to uh, a weak market or hadn't seen one in quite some time uh, or not one that lasted more than a month or so. Uh, so uh, when the selling started earlier this year, uh, it just fed on itself. Uh, and we've seen uh, the markets just continue to deteriorate. Uh, Russia and uh, Ukraine, that situation hasn't helped higher uh, energy prices have helped that industry, but hasn't helped the overall markets. Uh, and we've seen a lot of companies lower guidance for the third quarter, which it will be, we'll start those reports coming in the next several weeks. Uh, could be a weak quarter uh, for uh, the uh, for company earnings as well. Historically speaking, as far as the stock market has been concerned, can you remember a year in which there were nearly as as many external shocks? Uh, like this one, and we're not talking about a financial crisis or, or one uh, major event. It just seems to be uh, just one body blow after the other. Well, it certainly hasn't been pretty. It has been only nine months. Uh, I remember that. Uh, if you look back in the 1970s, there were a lot of negatives back then. Uh, you had you know, hot, very high oil prices, very high interest rates, uh, you had a, you know, a war that was very unpopular. So we have seen it historically. It's just been quite some time. And as you said, uh, you know, generationally, a lot of investors, younger investors, haven't seen it. Uh, they're certainly getting a dose of it now. 
Is this the final phase of what I like to call the pandemic economic disruption? You had the shutdown, you had the mothballing, you had the tentative reopening, you had the uh, the vaccine-driven, everybody returns and expects to go back to doing what they did. Uh, is this kind of the, the last uh, lurch back into, uh, into, in, into, the, into the economy as it was in 2019? I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, the economy is still in the process of normalizing post-pandemic. The inflation we've seen uh, really is the result of the pandemic. Uh, the Fed you know, used to say it was transitory and they would come down, and probably over time it might. Uh, but uh, they've, it's sort of a bit out of control now, inflation, and they've had to act to bring that down. Uh, but uh, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're very correct in, in that observation. Tim Grisky, Senior Portfolio Strategist with Ingalls & Snyder, based in New York. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, assembling a collection of classic cars and then putting them up for auction. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon we're delving into the world of classic cars and related items. We welcome in Dave Majors, CEO of Meekum Auctions, the world's largest collector of uh, largest collector car auction company. It's based in Walworth, Wisconsin. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Let's talk about the history of uh, Meekum car auctions and just car auctions in general. Uh, What was it like at the Rockford Airport in 1988 when uh, Meekum staged its uh, first auction? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Meekum auctions is probably the storybook entrepreneur um, story. It, It started in 1988, Dana and Patty Meekum sitting around their kitchen table. Um, it's grown into what it is today. We're still a family-owned company, and all four Meekum boys work with us every day in the business. But the very first auction back in 1988 in Rockford uh, was a little bit of a treacherous start. Uh, right before the auction was about to start, uh, the auction was hit with a tornado and wiped out the entire auction. Uh, so it actually did not take place. And uh, Dana said to Patty Meekum at that time, well, we've got really nothing to lose. We might as well go ahead and give it another try. And of course, it's grown into the world's largest collector car auction company, doing about a billion dollars of sales a year. Now, when we talk about uh, collector cars, uh, what type of cars are up for sale at a Meekum auction? Is it one that is fully and lovingly restored by a collector, or is it one that needs a lot of work but has a great deal of uh, historical value that you can then refurbish yourself? Yeah, actually, you'll you'll see just about everything, and we have an auction coming up in a couple of weeks in Schaumburg, Illinois, as a matter of fact, with about a thousand cars. And out of that thousand cars, you're going to see everything from the early 1900s pre-war to probably some 2022 exotics. And there'll be cars that uh, sell at Amicum auctions for five thousand dollars. That are cars that are dying to be restored, and there are cars that sell at Amicum auctions for seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars that, that have been restored and have some historical significance. So we we always say it doesn't matter how big your pocketbook is, what brand, what model, what color you're looking for, you'll find it at Amicum Auctions. What is the uh the, the, the sweet spot as far as a decade is concerned for a Meekum auction? What particular era of car uh really brings the buyers in? I mean, do you still have uh people who are uh you want to get that fifty seven Chevy, which was always kind of the uh shorthand for uh, classic cool when I was growing up, or has it moved into the sixties and seventies? Is it before that? What what is that time period? 
Well, certainly the 50s cars are still very popular, but we we cut our teeth and we're still pretty well known for the 60s and 70s American muscle cars, uh, the Corvettes, uh, the Chevelles, the Mustangs, uh, all of those that uh, at my age that I remember from, from my high school days. And we still see, as I said, we'll see cars uh, completely across the board, but there's a there's always a high concentration of that 60s and 70s American muscle car. 2020, uh, during the pandemic, when uh, indoor dining was shut down, I managed to find myself uh, inside a restaurant uh, going to the restroom. They had the TVs on, and uh, the sports channels, like, on a typical Saturday night, they would have, you know, Sox games, Cubs games, Bulls. Uh, but with all sports shut down, it was the Meekum car auction. And it reminded me of the old days of ESPN where they would just televise whatever was available. And the Meekum car auctions were on an awful lot when sports were shut down. Uh, did that help yeah. you guys at all in terms of raising the awareness of not only the company, but uh, car auctions in general? Yeah, we, we actually went back to auction. Uh, we put together a safety protocol plan. I worked with governors in various states and mayors and those at convention centers. And we went back to auction in July of 2020. And we were the only auction company that, that was able to do that. And because of that, uh, our business grew dramatically. Our, our customer base grew dramatically. And as you mentioned, we were on NBC Sports at the time, and, and uh, NBC didn't have any sports. Uh, so we were on television quite a bit. Uh, we had about four times our contractual guarantee uh, on NBC Sports in, in 2020 because of that. And certainly that that helped not only bring people to Meekum auctions, but that helped bring a lot of eyeballs and a lot of new uh, enthusiasts to the collector car hobby as well. Dave Major, CEO of Meekum Auctions, the world's largest car co collector car auction company based in Walworth, Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still to come, a closer look at the economic phenomenon of stagflation. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The combination of inflation and stagnation yields the economic term stagflation. It's something we haven't talked about since uh, the first round of Star Wars movies were in the movie theater nearly 40 years ago. Let's discuss exactly what it means and if we're currently there with Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Uh, the headlines are as such. The, the Fed hiking interest rates uh, once again to uh, slow down inflation, which is starting to take off in the economy. And that headline is from Chicago Today in September of 1974. An echo from the past, and uh, is is that applicable today? Are we dealing with a 1970s style economic environment? Well, that certainly that certainly is the worry. Um, uh, you know, the decade of the 1970s was a lost decade or worse for both stocks and bonds, and the worry is that we'll have something similar. Typically, if you go back through several centuries of American history. When stocks are doing well, bonds may not do as well or vice versa. And that's the reason why a portfolio that has both stocks and bonds in it will be, uh, will be diversified. So you have one hedging the other. The problem is that when you get these stagflation episodes, both stocks and bonds suffer together. So what you think is a conservative portfolio that is hedging your bets actually is uh, the worst of all possible worlds. We've seen that this year. Both bonds and stocks are are in what we call a, a bear market of down at least 20% from their highs. And uh, it's not entirely unusual to see periods in which they both go down for a little bit of time, which a problem would be if we have it for a decade or more, which is what we saw 
from the late 60s up until the early 1980s. And that's the real worry that what the rest of this decade may look like. Back then, there was a bit of a hangover effect from uh, 20 years of uh, a near constant economic growth following the end of World War II. And there was a great deal more exposure to energy prices in the 70s compared to today. Um, does that mean uh, because we were not nearly as dependent on foreign oil as we were nearly 50 years ago, that could lead us out of a stagflationary environment. It certainly could. I mean, what you're bringing up is the problem that economic historians always have, which is that no two events in history are exactly alike. And as you point out, a big difference today versus back in the early 1970s is our dependence on foreign oil. So at least we can say that uh, uh, dependence on foreign oil will not be the cause for us to have another stagflation episode this uh, this decade. That doesn't mean we won't have it. It just means we can't blame it on uh, on foreign de- dependence. This is always the uh, the problem, as I say, with with economic forecasting is that you never have an historical analogy that's perfect. And uh, really, that is something we need to remember today. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.